Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. In the last chapter of The Coldest Winter Ever, um, we got to see Winter acclimating to her life in the group home that she was staying in. Uh, and the group home was nothing more than an opportunity for uh, Sister Soldier to show the differences between how Winter was living versus how everybody else was living. She tagged her fully as a sociopath in this last <laughs> chapter, which I'm not mad at. I mean, she totally is. And if the girl is, you know, 17, she's not going to know the true definition of a sociopath. So when she's telling all these stories and, and, and attitude just, you know, swaying from end to end, then maybe it would be that way. And the way that she felt about people and, and the way that she was able to brush uh, Lachey off once she started um, getting her weekend passes without any regard really do point towards her uh, being, at the very least, a narcissist, which we already know. Um, but she has a business that she started up uh, doing makeup and hair, even though she doesn't know how to do hair. She, I guess she's doing a good job cutting hair down to a finger wave. Um doing makeup and hair and, and buying clothes or selling clothes that Simone is boosting uh, from the store um, for her. And she sent Simone off at the end of the chapter. Well, she had told Simone to look into getting her some crack. And Simone was like, I don't think you want to do that. But then she asked her cousin and her cousin was like, I'm not going to do that. So that was dead. And she sent Simone off to get a new outfit for her. Uh, from one of the high-level uh, stores in the area. So just to guess, I'm guessing that Simone's going to get arrested um, because, you know, it's been a while since I read the book, but I'm pretty certain uh, that Simone's about to get fucked over uh, because Sister Soldier really wants you to know that, you know, Winter's putting everybody's life in danger with her selfishness. And it's coming across pretty clear. If you have any thoughts or, or ideas or questions, or if you just want to get your voice heard uh, on the show, you can go ahead and give us a call. Uh, telephone number is 916-633-1537. Um, you can also email us at wretchedandratchet at gmail.com. Um, and you can hit us up on the Twitter page, uh, which is Ratchet Book Club. Um, with that said, I do want to thank y'all for checking us out. We greatly appreciate it. And now we're going to go ahead and get to, um, chapter 11. 
Saturday evening, the house of success was like a ghost town. Besides the security staff, no one was there except for Rashida. Oh yeah, Rashida is um Rashida is to Sister Soldier. Sorry, this is me again. Rashida is to Sister Soldier as Nas is to Sincere in Belly. Like the sooner you recognize that, the sooner that it stops being annoying and just gets irritating. So Saturday evening, the house of success was like a ghost town. Besides the security staff, no one was there except Rashida. She was lying on her bed, reading her book, of course. What's up, girl? I asked Rashida, trying to get things between me and her back to normal by striking up a little conversation. A letter came for you, she said dryly. It's on your bed. Winter. This letter is to the most beautiful daughter any man could ever have. I couldn't see you the other day. I was concentrating on things that need to be done. But the real shit is, I needed a shave and a haircut. I didn't want you to think your pops was falling off. Smile. Listen, don't worry about me. You know I'm holding it down. I'm a fighter, and so are you. I raised you to be on top. I gotta admit, I wish the rest of the family was strong like the two of us. A lot of them been breaking down under the pressure, slipping. I thought I could depend on certain family members to take care of some small but important things. Now I know I can't. Now there's a lesson for you, Winter. When you're making the dough, it's all love. The click is tight and family's about it. When your dough is low, you ain't shit. Niggas forget what you done for them, what they owe you. I need a small favor, Winter. If you can do it, good. If you can't, don't worry about it. Get in touch with Midnight. I need something taken care of that I can't trust anyone else to do. Tell him to drop me a line or pay me a visit. Papa Santiago. Two tears came rolling down without my permission. Is everything okay? Rashida asked. Is your mom all right? Everything's cool. I said, quickly clearing the tears from my face. Why do you always do that? Rashida asked. Do what? Act like you're so cool. Like you're in control of every little thing. Why can't you just admit when something isn't alright so somebody can help you? <laughs> you bugging. These are happy tears. I'm fine. But since we're on the topic of things people do that we hate, why do you always wear that damn ponytail? Why don't you try and live a little? Let your hair down. It depends on what you consider a living, Winter. Oh, I guess you're not like everybody else, I said smartly. I try not to be. So I pushed it. Do you have a man, Rashida? Nope. Probably because of that damn ponytail, I laughed. Listen. Rashida said, like she lost her mind and was about to get loud. I'm not Claudette. I know who I am and all that. I'm just not looking for a man. I'm not ready yet. When I'm finished working on myself, then I'll bother with that. Ignoring her explanations, I asked and stated at the same time. So you like girls, huh? It's cool. I don't judge nobody. You're crazy, Winter. I didn't say nothing about liking girls. I'm just taking my time. 
I'm only 16. Are you still a virgin, Rashida? You're not? She shot back at me. Yeah, I am. Hell no! I said as I busted out laughing. I've been fucking since I was 12 years old. I started late. How about you? Well, you could say I'm a virgin because I never had sex voluntarily. I just never had those feelings for a man. I guess you could say I just find it hard to trust any guys. So now I'm waiting to meet a brother who won't mind just taking everything nice and slow. Good luck, I said with a doubtful voice. I wasn't going to get all personal with her. Hey, do you want to go to a concert with me tonight? I asked. Who's performing? Wu-Tang and Death Squad. You know, hip-hop. Nah, I'll pass, Rashida said unenthusiastically. You might as well come. If not, you'll be the only one left on this floor, I warned her. It's okay. It took me a while, but now I'm okay with being alone. Besides, security is here. By 10.20 p.m., I figured out that Simone wasn't showing up. I wasn't mad at her, but I wasn't rolling to the concert alone either. No doubt her big ass was somewhere either eating or sleeping. Finally, I got Rashida to loosen up enough to try my Agent of Vitadini dress. She spun around, looking at herself in the mirror. You see? This is what I'm talking about. This kind of dress gets a girl in trouble. Trouble is what I don't need. I tried it on. Are you satisfied? Now you can have it back. Rashida looked so good in my dress, I was happy to take it back from her. When the lights went out, I lay awake in my bed thinking about Santiago's letter. I know I said I was going to act like he was dead, but now things were different. I understood why he refused my visit last time. He didn't have anything to give to me. He felt he couldn't do nothing for me. I believed him when he said he didn't want me to see him because he didn't have it all together that day. What he didn't know was that he would forever be my hero, regardless of the small stuff. Before, I was crushed, devastated even. Now I realize that me and him were just alike. We were both born to win. And when we're not winning, it was okay because we were busy planning to win. Next time I see Simone, I'll remember to ask her to sniff around and see if anyone in the Brooklyn neighborhood had heard from or seen Midnight. If anyone knew of his whereabouts, if anything had been said or even whispered, Natalie would know it. And it would be hard to get Simone to ask Natalie about him because since me and her started hanging out, Simone made it clear that Natalie gets on her nerves. Plus, Natalie would know that Simone was asking about Midnight for me. You know she wasn't trying to help me out. But I was sure if anyone would know, Natalie would. If Natalie knew, someone else around the way knew because Natalie could never keep her mouth shut. It had been months since midnight had left me. Santiago's letter brought him back to the centerfold of my thoughts. It had been weeks since I had laid there in the dark imagining his fine body on top of me. No doubt I still had mad love for him. If what daddy wanted could lead to me being able to see midnight again, then locating him could make both me and daddy happy at the same time. My thoughts were interrupted by Rashida's voice. I thought she had fallen asleep. Remember when you asked me to ask Soldier if she knew somebody named Midnight? Well, I did. And I think the reason you don't like Sister Soldier is because of a man. What? 
I responded with my ears at attention. I told you I don't even know her. Yeah, but you know this guy Midnight. And from the look on Soldier's face when I asked her if she knew Midnight, she knew him well. You know, like in a man-woman way. I felt the heat in my body rising. I sat stiff in the dark waiting for Rashida to continue on her own. But she didn't. What did she tell you? I asked, trying to sound half-interested. Oh, now you're interested in what Soldier has to say, Rashida said with a chuckle. I could tell she thought she had the upper hand on me, so I played it cool. Nah, I'm just saying, Rashida. Did Soldier tell you that Midnight was her man or something? Don't try and play it off, Winter. I can hear it in your voice. You're in love with this guy, and Sister Soldier is his girl, so you don't like her. You're jealous. Needing to stab her back because she was trying to score points on me, I said, What would Sister Soldier be doing with a drug dealer as a boyfriend? Rashida became quiet, so I continued. Wouldn't that make Soldier a fake? Dating a drug dealer? Is Midnight a drug dealer? Rashida asked as if she didn't hear what I said. Is Midnight Soldier's man? I pushed, waiting on an answer. Rashida, in a less confident tone now, added, Well, Soldier didn't say Midnight was her man. She just had a look on her face when I mentioned his name, like there was some love there. You know, she had one of those smiles you see in the movie, like Diana Ross had for Billy D. Williams, or Jada Pinkett had for Alan Payne, or like Nia Long had for Lorenz Tate and Love Jones. You know what I mean. I pictured Rashida's dumb ass sitting in the dark trying to duplicate the smile. I decided right there and then that she's a crazy bitch who definitely can't be trusted to be my middleman in any negotiation. I squeezed her for as much as I could get out of her. Then I cut her ass off. So what else does Soldier say? Well, Rashida said reluctantly. She got curious about how I knew Midnight. I told her I didn't know him, but I have a friend who does. What did she say then? She said she had spoken to Midnight recently and he was doing much better. What else? That's it. My mind was listening for every little detail. What does Soldier mean Midnight was doing much better? Was he sick or something? Rashida, still trying to put two and two together for herself, said, So am I right? Are you in love with Midnight? Is he a drug dealer? No, I said to Rashida. I'm just like you. I don't love nobody. Midnight is my first cousin. We grew up together. He moved away and I haven't heard from him. My mother practically raised him. I need him to get in touch with my mom right away, just in case anything happens with her illness, you know? Rashida became quiet. He's not a drug dealer. I, I just said that to shake you up a little. You should never just follow somebody the way you follow soldier. Just think how disappointed you would have been if she had turned out to be a hypocrite. True, Rashida mumbled, but she's not a hypocrite. She's for the people. She helped me a lot personally just being able to talk to her, to know she's actually listening and really loves me, and that means a whole lot. Do you really believe she loves you? I'm just saying, Rashida backtracked. She cares about how my life turns out, how my story ends, and that's more than I can say about a bunch of people, even people in my own family. Whatever, Rashida, I said shortly, dismissing her. 
I really wish you would come meet Soldier or join her womanhood class or something. <laughs> Not hardly, I shot back. Early Sunday morning, I called Simone. I didn't get no answer. Maybe she decided to give somebody some of that pregnant pussy. I couldn't be mad at that. Simone had worked hard for her baby. She deserved a good fuck. I laughed just thinking about what type of position the dude would have to twist her up into just to get close to her stuff. I bounced out to the store for the rest of the day. I had ideas that needed to be taken care of. When I got back to the house late in the afternoon, seconds after I arrived, Lachey called me to the phone. I stepped into the corridor to pick it up. Winter, are you sitting down? Simone's voice asked. What? I laughed. Are you having triplets or something? I got knocked. What? I'm locked down. I've been here all weekend long. I'm cold, I'm hungry, and I'm dying to get the fuck out. What happened? What happened? That stupid ass pink dress happened, that's what. That shit was so fly they had security guards just to watch it. Anyways, I need $1,500 to make bail. $1,500? I repeated. Why so much? Whatever happened to getting released on your own recognizance? Yeah, well, they see me down here more than a couple times before, so, so the crab-ass judge trying to lock me down for a year. If these motherfuckers trying to take my baby, they're going to have to upgrade my charge to murder. All right, Simone, who do you want me to see about the money? Who do I need to talk to? Stop fucking around, Winter. This shit ain't funny. Just put the loot up and we'll make it back as soon as I walk out of this dump. What about your money? Where were you keeping that stash? You mean the baby's money? I can't touch it, Winter. It's for the baby. Come on, just do me this one solid. I'll hit you right back as soon as you bail me out. You know how we do. Can't you get it from your moms or anybody else? Winter, that's a dumbass question. You know the runnings. I can't get shit that I don't make for myself. So why can't you use a baby's money to get yourself out? Then you can make the baby's money back. Damn, Winter. Because anything could happen with the baby. The way these motherfuckers got me stressed, this shit could drop out right now. Winter, listen. I might have to use the baby's money for a lawyer anyhow. They sent some legal aid guy with a nervous twitch and a nasty skin problem. He's already talking about plead guilty and shit like that. This motherfucker was kicking in the hallway with the prosecutor like they old buddies and shit. There's something about this time that got me worried. Simone's voice sounded serious. Winter, I, I can't have my baby up in here. Word up. It's cold, it's dirty, and it's wet. They'll take her from me. Just just come on down. I'm good for it. You know I'm good for it. I'm in the pen downtown. That's the one thing I hate about friends, I thought. How you gonna try and game a gamer? How does Simone think she gonna trick a trickster? She purposely made that story up about the pink dress having gotten her arrested. Now I'm supposed to feel guilty about the situation and spend my hard-earned cash to get her ass out. How do I know that's what really happened? Sure, she helped me to make dough in the past, but not really when you think about it. She brought the products, but I paid her for the products. It was all fair and square. It wasn't her doing me a favor. It was a business deal straight up. 
she would have never done business with me if she wasn't getting her cut out of it. I was the one who had to take the time to get along with all these crazy, stupid-ass females and have success. I was the one who had to convince them one by one to give me their money. Them hair products and all that shit wouldn't mean nothing if I didn't have the flavor to freak the styles the right way. Besides, who was she fooling talking about the money she said is for the baby? Hell, the money I said is for something too. She had like that baby supposed to mean everything to everybody, when the truth is, it only means something to her. She probably ain't even got no money saved. She did something stupid with her money. Now she wants me to do something stupid with mine. Now I'm calculating this scene. She already told me she planned to slow up with her boosting, which is just one way of saying she don't want to do it no more. Now I'm supposed to give my cash to her. She'll pay me back, she says. But I can see it already. I'll bail her out. She'll get scared the judge's gonna really put her ass away. Then she'll give me some lame-ass excuse like she's too tired to boost. She keeps falling asleep. She needs to lay low until after she has her baby just to be on the safe side. When the kid comes out, she'll be talking about how the baby changed her outlook and she don't want to get back in trouble. The bottom line is, I get beat for my dough. Everywhere I turn this around, I lose. I thought about it for a second. If I leave my partner in the cold, that makes me the bitch. But I'd rather be a bitch with money in hand. A sure thing. Like Santiago said, when you got dough, everybody's cool with you. When your dough is low, nobody knows your name. I'd have to get my own hustle on now. After shopping today, I only got 2500 to my name. <laughs> Alright, I gotta hold this all into the end. Fuck it, let's keep going. I'd make it work to my advantage. I ain't giving Simone shit. I laid my finger on the receiver. The call disconnected. Simone called back one more time. In exchange for two cigarettes, the security guard told Simone, Winter ain't here. By Tuesday night, I was in deep concentration. I spent my day putting a package together for Santiago. It was everything I could think of him needing inside. I had dipped in my stash to get him some Salvador Ferragamo shoes. I bought him a crisp white Versace dress shirt, the kind he liked. The slacks I purchased from Barney's. I bought him a carton of cigarettes and a carton of cigars for bargaining. I placed $250 in an envelope to drop in his commissary. All this with a bottle of Isi Miyake cologne would set him up lovely on the inside. A lot of people think a prisoner can't style. They think all he can rock is a jail jumpsuit. But prisoners who ain't suckers, who got family who ain't convicted yet, can chill in the best clothes. Now, if a man holds position, he can keep the shit he owns because niggas know better than to try and rob him for it. Santiago wouldn't have problems like this. After thinking about it, I knew it was important for me to get this package up to him. I needed to show that Santiago got family on the outside checking for him. There would be no surprises on my next visit. I set my mind up so that if Daddy refused to see me, I could handle it. Because after I put the money in his commissary and dropped off the package, it would only be a short time before he would welcome me in or at least drop me a new line. Cattle on the bus was the way we rode to Rikers Island. I caught the bus in Queens with 60 other women and children. Chemical warfare is the only way to describe what happens when cheap perfume, body splash, body spray, underarm deodorant, curl activator, hairspray, and pissy pampers collide. 
I chose to stand up after I almost sat down in the seat with some red juicy juice spilled in it. My white shark skin skirt would have been ruined. Lucky for some kid and her mother, I didn't make that mistake. Because in addition to overcrowding, there would have been some ass whooping on that bus. From the bus to the Rikers Island waiting room, the air went from stale to stank. With all those bodies in one area, let's just say niggas drew heat. I wasn't there in the waiting room 10 seconds before some armed correction officer picked me out of the huge waiting room crowd of women. He was over six feet tall with a chest of steel. The funniest thing about him was that he still rocked a box style haircut and that style had been played out for more than a little while. He walked stiff like he had a pole up his ass, like a lot of cops walk. He had a confident smile on like he was Ziggy or something. Both his hands rested by his gun which was on his waist with all the other shit cops wear around their waist. He said, Now let me guess which one of these losers you here to see. I rolled my eyes and shifted my body position away from him. I can't understand it, he said, speaking in a low voice so others couldn't peep his conversation. I see it every day. Y'all get all dressed up to see these animals who can't do nothing for you. You ride one train two trains of bus to see these fools. You can't touch them. They can't touch you. A brother with good jobs and benefits can't get a play. So how about the cinnamon? His arms extended. Pass me your number. I'll call you as soon as I get off. I'll take you to lunch, dinner, breakfast, he suggested. Wherever you want to go. I wanted to scream on this asshole, but he had a gun. So instead, I said, no, that's all right. Ain't nothing happening. You got kids? He asked. No, I ain't got no goddamn kids, I responded immediately. I'm here to see my father, not my man. Oh, so where are your man at? If I was your man, I'd be sitting right there next to you. I didn't say nothing. All right, then, he pushed. I'll give you my number. Maybe you'll think about what I said and give me a call sometime. He handed me a business card. I doubt it, I said, crashing his ego down to the floor. Who are you here to see, he asked with authority, as if this was now some type of police matter. His eyes searched the package on my lap. Ricky Santiago, he said, reading the words printed on the box I bought for Daddy. Hmm. Well now, you're about four days too late. I shifted my weight back in his direction and peered into his eyes with hatred. What are you talking about? I demanded. That dude Santiago killed two prisoners in here four nights ago. He's out of here. We bust him out and up north. I didn't like the idea of this CO playing head games with me. If I would have given him my phone number, would he still be making all this shit up? Oh, you don't believe me, he chuckled. Go wait in line. Go get searched. Go through the metal detectors. They're going to tell you the same thing when you get up there. They might say Santiago allegedly killed two prisoners. Either way they say it, he's not here. How do I find out where he is, I asked, now desperate. In a few days, he'll probably write you. He can read and write, can he? He asked and actually waited for a response. Well, 
You can't take nothing for granted around here. I got up quick. He'll write. It's not like he has anything better to do, the guard shouted. With my back now to the CO, I moved swiftly towards the exit door. The last words I heard him say were, Call me. I can make you feel better. Yeah, I thought to myself, what a difference between the way men treated me before Santiago got knocked and the way they speak to me now. Like Santiago would say, they feeling themselves. Thought it was time to spread their wings. I know what happened behind those bars of Rikers. Some kind of disrespect. Somebody tried to test my father, so he was forced to set an example. He let everybody know. Don't fuck with Santiago. The penalty is death, baby. Ghetto style. I took a deep breath. There was no sense feeling bad. My father's all man. This is what I love best about him. Next stop was a liquor store and a pint of Hennessy to mellow me out. I slid into the movie theater in Queens and bought a ticket. What show? Any show. I just wanted to be where nobody would bother me, see me, or ask for none of my drink. It was just me, my brown paper bag, and two watermelon sticks to take away the liquor smell of my breath. Lights on and then off again. I stayed to see what I didn't see twice. One skinny white boy in an elevator suit came over and shined the flashlight in my face. But after the light landed on my face, hair, skirt, and brand new Joan and David Hills, he took the light off me because I surely wasn't a homeless bum. Besides, I had a stub. From dark to dark, the inside of the theater into the night, I was calm. I bought a nickel bag from a dread I ran into in the street. I'd rather give him my business than my body, which is what he wanted when he first approached me. Niggas always think when they see a girl walking alone in the street, they can slide up in her. But I decide when I'm getting fucked or not, even when I'm drunk. My body jerked back, forwards, and sideways as a silver train jetted through the underground. The lights blinked on and off, bugging me out as my mind tried to move faster than the train wheels. The crazies on the train were more animated than ever. One old chick with four pounds of bottom lip and no top lip at all sat across from me muttering, That's a lie. That's a lie. Y'all know that's a motherfucking lie. I busted out laughing because everything in my eyes at the moment was magnified. People had the nerve to look at me like I was nuts or something. The weed had me hungry, so I slid Daddy's package, which seemed to be getting heavier and heavier, into a locker at Penn Station, Manhattan on 34th Street. For 50 cents, I locked everything up and dropped the key into my pocketbook. Now I was free to get dinner. I treated myself to steak and brew restaurant. I sat in the dim light by myself eating my food. Do you mind if I give you the check now, miss? The hurried waitress asked. It's 10.15 and my shift ended at 10. I'm sorry. Don't worry about it. I paid the bill. A couple more bites of my steak. Well done. Ugh. Oh. Sorry, I'm a chef, y'all. Sorry, my bad. A couple more bites of my steak. Well, I'm sorry, y'all. I keep trying, but well done is gross. A couple more bites of my steak. Well done. And I realized what the waitress had said. It's 10.15. It's 10.15. It's 10.15. Curfew is at 11. I ran to the bathroom, peed, and straightened myself out. Then I caught the local downtown of 14th Street. I still had to walk to the east side. 
I puffed my last L as a light wind moved in and out of my legs, walking towards the house of success. Ten minutes to curfew. I didn't want to hear shit about them revoking my upcoming weekend privileges. My two-inch heels clicked on the sidewalk, making music. My theme music. I didn't know if anyone else could hear it, but it sounded real loud to me. When I turned the corner onto the block, I felt nervous out of nowhere as if something wasn't cool. The lower Manhattan block turned into a haunted museum. The skinny little trees appeared to be armed enemies. I was seeing all types of shit like snipers on the roof and vipers crawling on the ground. I hated this little block that was tucked away like a fake suburb. I mean, on a normal block in New York, there's lights and people. Plenty of people. Bodegas and niggas sitting on milk crates playing cards or shooting CeeLo or sipping brew. But this little street was full of shit. Pretending to be something other than it was. Halfway down the block in the front entrance of my building, the outline of a body stepped forward like an old Hitchcock flick. Energy shot through my body. My mind shook my hide to the left, then shook it to the right. My eyes focused on the shadow cast by the dull light. An alarm within me sounded. Oh shit, it's Simone. Damn, has she peeped me? Did she think she could hide her pregnant ass by standing behind the tall, thin wall at the top of the stoop? What does she plan to do on her condition? Fuck her, I said to myself. She can't do nothing. In a flash, maybe half a second, she jumped off the stoop like an overweight acrobat. And out of the right and left side of the stoop shot four wild mamas in black Reebok sneakers, black jeans, and bright yellow hoodies, charging towards me like killer bees. Brooklyn. The only females bold enough to wear some bright shit in the middle of the night when they're supposed to be on the down low. I folded my pocketbook like it was a brown paper bag. Outnumbered one to five, and unsure whether one of them was a big woman or a man, I turned on my heels and ran like my Joan and Davis were Air Jordans. Go back, Simone! Go back, Simone! One of them kept shouting, but Simone kept coming like a clunky pickup truck talking about, I'm gonna get a piece of this trick bitch's ass! Get back, Simone! But like a mad bull, she kept coming. The short one was gaining on me, but my slim yet muscular thighs were dodging them other fools. I was working that miniskirt. As I damn near flew around the corner, I looked back right in time to see Simone bust her ass falling flat on her face. I dashed down the subway steps. Two of the killer bees kept coming. I assumed the other two went to help Simone. When I tried to jump over the last five steps, my feet landed instead on the bottom step. I had lost my balance. I had lost one shoe. With only one shoe on, I heard them on my heels. I saw the train doors about to close and shot unevenly through the doors. As soon as I turned around to see if I shook them, the door shut tight. Whatever they were screaming on the other side of the closed glass and metal front door didn't matter because it was drowned out by the departing screech of the train. But their middle fingers? Yeah, I could read that. Relieved, I fell into the small space between a fat lady and a young guy with headphones on. With one shoe on and my blouse buttons popped open, my titties heaved in and out, in and out from heavy breathing. I gasped for air. When I looked up, I saw half of all the other passengers' eyes on me. I sucked my teeth loud and began buttoning my blouse and spit. The fuck everybody looking at? At the first stop, I got off and switched to the uptown train line. I was sure them Brooklyn films weren't going that way. 
I plunged my hand into my coach bag to take inventory. My box cutter was still there. I ran my fingers over the handle, thinking, that's right. Simone was smart enough to get her little crew because she knew one-on-one -on -one she had no wins. Even if there had only been two of them, I would have fought. But five? Who knew if they had burners on them? I felt for the yellow envelope I keep taped to the bottom of my coach bag. I hated ruining the leather inside of the bag with tape. But ever since Aunt B stuck me for my loot, I never left my money and jewels anywhere, anytime. And my bag never leaves my side. Never. Okay. Think, think, think. What's the plan? Simone and them ain't going away from me at the house of success forever. So I could ride for a while and wait them out. Nah, I'll get off at the next stop and get to a payphone. I'll call the house and find out what's up. Rashida or one of them will fill me in. Now, should I leave one shoe on? Or should I walk barefoot on the filthy subway platform? How long would it be before I could run into a vendor who would sell me a pair of socks? What would be a bigger spectacle? A woman with no shoes on or a female with one shoe on? This New York, so I said, fuck it. You blew curfew, Santiago. The house of success bitch security guard's voice was blaring through the phone. I, I know, I know. I'm going to have to write you up, she said, taking her job seriously. I got a cart in the Newport to say you don't have to say nothing. Make it two. Now, what do you want? Let me speak to Rashida. Rashida's asleep. Well, wake her up, I told her. She's in the shower. I thought you said she was asleep. Whatever. Do you want to speak to Lachey? What's going on, girl? I asked Lachey, knowing that if she knew something, she volunteered to tell me. Nothing, she said in a calm voice. Has anyone called for me? You should have asked security. You know they take all the messages. Anyway, I saw your girl Simone a few hours ago. What did she say? You know, the regular. She said give her a call. She needs to talk to you about something. Anything else? Nah, nothing. Listen, Lachey, my mom's is sick again. It looks like I'm going to sleep over in the hospital with her tonight. Could you do me a favor? Yeah, anything. Just hit me off like old times. Lachey laughed, but I knew she was serious. I didn't mind putting a few bucks in her palms for a favor. In my room, taped to the inside rail in my bed, there's a key. Use it to unlock my trunk. I further explained that she should pack some selected dresses, pants, blouses, and two pairs of my shoes. One flats, one heels. All that? Damn, where are you going? I'm going to the hospital to stay with my mom's. She needs me. Besides, you know me with the clothes. Even if I'm going for one night, I need to have choices, I told her. Lachey laughed. Meet me tomorrow at 12 noon at Penn Station, downstairs, under the schedule board digital display. Tomorrow, 12 noon, Penn Station, under the schedule display, she repeated. And make sure you lock up my trunk and bring me the key. Got it, she said. Lachey had a damn good question. Where am I going? But in the interest of not being predictable, I wasn't going back to the house of success tonight. From the subway platform, I walked upstairs to the 96th Street Station. 
I decided to keep the one shoe I had on my left foot. After a minute of looking around, I realized the only type of stores that were open were restaurants, delis, and vegetable stands. Eight minutes later, my dirty black foot got a splinter on a piece of glass or something like that in it. It was the first time my own body ever grossed me out. Finally, I came upon a 24-hour pharmacy. They didn't have no shoes for sale, but I was able to buy some hairy pink bedroom slippers, cotton balls, alcohol, and sewing needles. I found a chair outside of a cafe to sit on. As soon as I opened the cotton balls and took the top off the alcohol, a waiter came out. May I take your order? He asked. Nothing for me, I responded. Well, there is a drink and entree minimum to occupy these outside tables and chairs. I'm not hungry, and this will only take a minute. The waiter looked suspiciously on my side of the table, saw my foot, and said, Oh no, miss, you won't be allowed to do that here. Okay, then I'll have a cheeseburger deluxe and a Coke. I'll have to ask you to leave now, or I'll go and get the manager. So I walked around aimlessly until I discovered the wide-open deserted steps to the Museum of Natural History. With only the midnight moonlight and the dull glare from a street lamp, I sat, wiping my foot with the alcohol and cotton balls. I successfully removed the splinter with the sewing needle. The pink slippers were definitely not the bomb, but there are two of them, and they matched. Besides, it would only be a 10-hour fashion statement. The stores would open, and then I could get some proper shoes. Whether or not to check into a hotel was running through my mind. After shopping for Daddy, I only had $1,650. Not having a clear plan was stressing me, so I decided to save my dough until I was sure what my next move would be. I walked for blocks and blocks, just trying to keep them moving. In a city like New York, sitting still could make you anybody's target. The McDonald's I lucked up on closed out at 3 a.m., so I took the $15 worth of magazines I had just purchased from a newsstand and moved next door to the donut shop. I ordered two glazed donuts and a coffee just to keep the cashier from saying I couldn't sit at the counter. I opened my hip-hop fanzine and began to read the articles about my favorite hip-hop stars. Look at these rap chicks in the magazine, I thought to myself. If I could rhyme, I'd get paid out the ass. Some of these rap girls had loot and still couldn't figure out where to put their weaves in right. I cracked up. Just then, some dude wearing the finest blue metallic suit the thrift store had to offer sat in the chair next to me. Hey, sweetheart, he said, flashing a smile with so much plaque on his teeth it looked like a yeast infection. What can I do for you? He asked. I pushed my face into my magazine, ignoring him. Are you a ballerina, sweetheart? What? I said so loud, I put him on blast. Calm down, sweetie. I just want to talk to you for a minute. I'm saying, because you look like a ballerina to me with them long, sexy legs. Now me, I'm a manager. I'm always looking for new talent. He laid a dirty business card on the counter, which read, Girls Galore Management. I'm not no damn ballerina, I said, picking up my stuff. Do I look like a fucking ballerina? Do you know any ghetto girl ballerinas? Checking my hostility, he said, Come on now, don't get uptight. I'm just trying to do some business with you. Ballerina's just a fancy way of saying dancer. 
Well, I can dance, I said, moving down two chairs, separating him from me. But I ain't no dancer. Now don't go turning up your nose, little girl. A good dancer could bring in about three to five hundred dollars a night. Doing what? I asked with interest. Why, dancing, he said with another nasty smile. I looked at his whole entire face, that fucked up suit, and the black dirt caked up under his long nails. I jumped up, threw one hand on my hip, and said, Yeah, right, dancing, sucking a little dick, taking it up the ass a few times, and a bunch of shit like that, huh? The man who spoke with a lowered voice left as quickly as he came. By 5 a.m., a fat lady wearing a cheap, greasy apron nudged me. There's no sleeping in here. She pointed to the sign on the wall that said, No loitering, no barefoot. It don't say no sleeping, I said. Well, you ain't buying nothing, so you loitering. I pointed to the glazed donuts and the cold cup of coffee left on the counter two seats over. She twisted up her mouth and said, That was here when I started my shift. I stood up to get my pocketbook that I was sitting on. I pulled out 50 cents and said, I'll take a glazed donut. She spun on her dirty plastic work shoes with attitude, handing me the donut and tissue paper. I looked up at the clock thinking, I only have one hour to midnight. If I have to buy one donut every 10 minutes, I will. I strained to think at 8 a.m. The sun was well up, but I was so exhausted I couldn't put anything in order in my head. The only thing I had decided for definite was, after Lachey brought my clothes, I would check into a hotel, sleep, shower, and figure it all out. The fact that Simone, well, not really Simone, but her crew, knew where to find me put me on the defensive. I didn't like that arrangement. I should be the one coming up with the surprises. The Koreans, who were always open the earliest and the latest, sold me a hat and a pair of sunglasses. Total cost? Seven dollars. They were disposable. There were no way I was going to walk out in the morning rush where the professional people wore suits dressed in trench coats with bedroom slippers on my feet. At least I wouldn't walk without first shielding my eyes with the sunglasses and hat to add to my disguise in a sense of mystery. Anyway, by 10 a.m. I would be standing outside of Mason's on 34th Street. I'd get some new shoes, maybe a moderately priced dress, then I'd toss this depressing disguise. Why should I go shopping when Lachelle was going to bring me my clothes? <laughs> because I wouldn't give her the pleasure of seeing me down and out. Besides looking tired, she would never know what happened to me last night. I wouldn't be caught dead in this getup by anyone who knows me. Macy's bathroom was a welcome relief. It definitely beat the filthy, claustrophobic closet bathroom in the donut shop. The couch, comfortable chairs, clean counters, soap dispensers, and toilets were just what I needed. I had already begun to smell my underarms. I slid straight out of my soiled panties. I threw them in the garbage can. I washed myself with the rough paper towels. I splashed my face with water to wake me up. A sprinkle of water in my hair, I swept it up in a bun. I took a deep breath and said, This will have to do. My keen eyes were ready to find the best quality walking shoe at a reasonable price. As I picked through some of the sales items on the table, 
I looked up briefly, only to notice an elderly white man watching me. Every time I would look back to see if he was still there, he'd be staring right back at me. He was careful to stay about four feet away from me when I was walking. When the entire scene became too aggravating for me, I turned around quickly to startle him, throwing my hands up in the air and then on my waist. I said firmly, Yes, can I help you? At first he tried to have a blank look on his face. Then he stepped to me and said with a repulsively mild and courteous tone, Do you mind if I take a look in your bag? You damn right I mind, I snapped, my natural reaction. He held his right hand up, holding a security badge. Listen, miss, here are your options. You can cooperate with me, or I can get the police involved. Police? For what? Miss, please calm yourself down. Lower your voice. You're alarming the customers. I am a customer. He looked me over, head to toe. His eyes landed on my pink slippers, then back on my face. I'm thinking, my shit don't match, but that ain't no crime. Come with me, miss. He walked me into a back room. One you wouldn't notice if you were just an ordinary customer like me, I thought. Sit down, he ordered. I sat in the chair right next to a silver two-way mirror. I could look out and see the customers, but I knew they couldn't see me. Now, I would like for you to volunteer for me to look in your bag. Why? I asked. I didn't do shit. I saw you when you were at our front door early this morning, at 9.45 a.m. to be exact. You were wearing a black knit hat, black sunglasses, and pink bedroom slippers. You walked around the first floor for about 10 minutes, looking at and touching the merchandise. You took the escalator to the third floor, clutching your bag, then entered the ladies' restroom on the west side of the building. You were in the bathroom for approximately 30 minutes. When you exited, you were no longer wearing the hat or the sunglasses. Now, because of your suspicious behavior, I need to be sure that everything in your bag belongs to you. Sucking my teeth like a fast car hitting its brakes, I opened my bag. I had a feeling this military asshole was willing to take this foolishness all the way. Besides, I hadn't stolen anything. He said, May I take a look in the bag? He turned it over, emptying its contents onto the blotter on the desk. His wrinkled face with the bulging eyeballs looked over everything. He knew he was wrong, but he was determined to be right. First thing he grabbed was my box cutter. How old are you, young lady? 21, I said with no hesitation. He opened my wallet, glanced over my business cards, and then discovered my house's success ID. Looking from the ID, then into my eyes, the ID, and then into my eyes again, he said, You're 17, not 21. You know it's illegal for anyone to sell a box cutter to a minor in New York. Listen, I said curtly, you accuse me for stealing. As you can see, I didn't take anything that belongs to your store. Busting a small sweat, I told him I just wanted my bag back. Luckily, this idiot didn't even see the envelope taped to the bottom of the bag. This is why I cooperated with him. I didn't want him to call the police. Then I had to explain where I got 1600 in cash and my diamond jewelry from. No doubt, even if I offered the police a great explanation, 
They would have wanted to drive me to the house of success, where I didn't want to go. No telling what would have happened when the counselors and authorities found out how much dough I had without having a job. On his signal, I picked up each and every item belonging to me and put it back in my bag. With an impatient face, while tapping my foot, I asked, Can you please let me go now? One minute, he ordered. Raise up your arms. He ran his two hands from the top of my shoulders down to my wrists. Come on, this is ridiculous. You can tell there's nothing in my blouse. It's tight. All of my clothes are tight. I can still get the police, he threatened. They can get a warrant and search you, thoroughly. I can make you sit and wait for them to get here. This bastard, whose hands couldn't stop shaking, ran over the center of my back, right along down my spine. Facing me, he then ran his two hands from my shoulder blades right over each of my titties, cupping them a bit. Infuriated, I saw nothing but images of the cops cuffing Mama, stealing Daddy's stuff, and pounding Mama's car. If I could tolerate him for a few minutes, I'd be home free. Take off your skirt. What? Take off your skirt. See, now you're bugging. I ain't taking off my skirt. What do you think I have? A pair of high heels hidden in my panties? I've seen all types of things happen before, miss. I'm just doing my job. I looked down at this man's little hard dick poking through his pants. I think you're doing a little bit more than your job. Just then, a lady security officer, short and fat with Catwoman glasses, opened the door with her key. Hey, what you got in here, Izzy? She asked like Izzy was her best pal. Nothing, I answered for Izzy. I gave him a threatening look, letting him know I'd blow the whistle on his little perverted party. We're finished, right? Yes. Everything seems to be in order. He said. I brushed by the lady security officer and walked out swiftly and kept going until I got out on the street. The clock said 11.15 a.m. I'd run to meet Lachey. Fuck it. I don't owe her any explanation about my appearance anyway. As I placed the plate and pizza crust into the garbage can, my eye caught a glimpse of Rashida coming up the subway stairs and into the mall in Penn Station. She didn't see me standing there. She kept looking over her shoulder nervously. She'd run in and out of every indoor store in the huge waiting area. Wondering what she was doing, but not wanting to see her, I stepped three steps back into the pizza store and glanced outward from my discreet position. That's when she did it. Like a woman having a nervous breakdown, she went directly under the huge digital train display on the ceiling and shouted with both hands on her head. Winter! 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 If you can hear me, please, please. Stunned, I came. I rushed over so she could shut up. When she saw me coming towards her, she got excited, like I was Ed McMahon delivering a publisher's clearinghouse multi-million dollar sweepstakes check. Without talking, she grabbed my hand and jerked it, pulling me towards the staircase that led to the uptown train. When I resisted, she said, Winter. Seriously, we got to get out of here. I saw the terror on her face. I followed, knowing she ain't the slick type. Simone is going to kill you. Well, maybe not kill you. Well, 
but hurt you real bad. She has a gun. You must have did something terrible to her. How do you know this? Everybody knows. Last night, Lachey said that Simone said that you were a double-crossing bitch. Lachey was with Simone yesterday from 8 to 10. When Lachey came inside, she told everybody that she was going to get popped. She said you deserved it because you would double-cross her too and cut her out of some money. They were waiting for you. Lachey said that Simone had a crew of girls outside the house of success. Everybody thought you'd be in before curfew. I was praying you didn't come. I told him the whole thing was between Simone and Winter, and it was stupid for anyone else to get involved. I told him, y'all don't even know Winter's side of the story. Then what happened? They locked me in our room and kept their bodies against the door so I couldn't get out. They locked me in there till like 1130. Then what? I don't know. Nobody wouldn't tell me shit. So how'd you know I was here? Last night, after everybody thought I was sleeping, Lachey came in our room. They were looking for something because they was all over your bed. Next thing I know, Lachey had opened your trunk. They were picking and choosing who wanted what, and Lachey was giving your stuff out. From what I could see, they took everything, down to the barrettes and face cream. Even the security guard was trying to get something out of the deal. But none of them clothes could fit her, so she stole the cartons of cigarettes you had in the pouch on the side. But how did you know I was going to be in Penn Station at 12? Because when Miss Porter came in this morning at about 9, she asked the girls if they knew where you were. She wanted to know if you came in last night. Everybody started looking nervous and guilty. So Miss Porter stepped to me. Before I could open my mouth, Lachey blurted out that your mom was in the hospital and you slept over with her. Lachey said she would see you at 12 noon at Penn Station because you needed some clothes and she was going to bring them to you. Now Lachey was getting calls all night, going back and forth to the security desk, so I knew she was up to no good. I didn't know if you had spoken to her or even if you would be here or not. But I took a chance. I didn't want to see nothing bad happen to you. Rashida hugged me and my body stiffened. It was time to figure everything out. Come on. Rashida grabbed my hand and guided me swiftly through the train station like I was in kindergarten or something. What's the deal? I asked. Where are we headed? To a friend's house, Winter. Someone who could help you out. I don't need no help, I told her. I just need a couple minutes to think. By the time we got off at the stop she wanted, it struck me and dropped into my head out of nowhere. Without saying a word, I turned around and began to walk back onto the subway platform in the opposite direction of Rashida. Winter, please, she begged me. I just want to help. Oh, no. You're trying to take me to Soldier's House like I'm some kind of charity case. A homeless runaway or something. You can forget it, girl. I ain't gonna do it. Winter, seriously, though, do you have somewhere else to go? I didn't answer. I didn't like her self-appointed mother role. You already live in a girl's home. You already don't have no family. I got family, bitch. You bugging. I got mad family. You don't know the half. If you got family, Winter, so much family, why don't you live with them? Where are they? You can't come back to the house of success. It wouldn't be safe. And you don't have to live at Soldiers. Just chill for a few days while we figure out what to do next. We? I screamed, throwing my hands up in the air. 
Now all of a sudden it's we. Fuck you, winner. Rashida screamed back at me. That's it. I try and do the right thing and look at you. You don't even realize somebody's trying to help your ass. As Rashida cried, I laughed. My laughing threw her off. What's so funny, she asked. You don't even know how to cuss right. You sound funny. You don't cuss. She got back at ease and led the way. Her house is right up here. Just do me one favor. Check it out before you just flat out say no. Told y'all niggas so. And white people and a retrend. You know, everybody who's listening, I greatly do appreciate it. Like, seriously. The numbers are good. Leave a review. Five stars. iTunes or wherever else you listen to the podcast at. I, I, I kind of remembered that Simone had gotten not. Like, I knew it happened at some point. I just didn't remember it happening this quickly. Like, I knew she got knocked at some point. Um, but I couldn't remember if it was a few chapters down the line if they kept making money or if it happened immediately. But that pink dress was like literally like that alarm sound from Kill Bill started flashing in my head. Like, yo, winter is a... Winter got asked by Simone who got locked up stealing winter address that winter clearly requested. Now, I'm not going to victim blame anybody, but Simone saw that there was security all around the dress, and yet she still went for it, and that's gutsy in itself. But you know, Sister Soul Jane right neither one of these two to be brainiacs, so back to Winter. Winter is getting her business from Simone, boosting these dresses for her. Winter needs Simone more than Simone needs Winter. Winter gets a call from Simone saying, I got locked up stealing your shit. Can you get money together to bail me out? Winter's like, I'm going to just let you wait till you get kicked out on the OR. Winter has the money. Simone's like, we can make the money right back. Simone is supposed to be her best friend. This is two best friends in like three chapters that Winter is fucked over for her own who knows why reasons. Clearly, Winter didn't need the money. We can see Winter does not have money management skills. Winter literally takes the money that she wasn't going to use to get her homegirl, her ace boon coon, her ride or die, the one who's been with her from the very start, the one who was willing to fight with her, roll with her, steal for her, do whatever she needs for her. She doesn't want to give her the $1,500, but she will take that money and go and buy her dad Salvador Ferragamo shoes, a crisp white Versace dress shirt, slacks from Barney's, two cartons of cigarettes and a carton of cigars, $250 in an envelope to drop in his commissary. All of that, plus a bottle of Isi Miyake cologne. Hold, please. I was going to play the Jeopardy music and all that kind of shit, but fuck that. That takes way too long to get through to tell you this. A bottle of Isi Miyake cologne costs $79. A pair of slacks from Barney's costs $365. A shirt from Versace 
cost $395. Now back then, a carton of cigarettes probably cost like $25. And who knows how much a carton of cigars cost? Because, got to know what kind of cigars they were. Then after all that, you also have to factor in the fact that she put 200 and... $50 in an envelope to put in this commissary? She says she spent like $900 because she says she had $1,650 left when it was all done. So about $850 when it's all said and done. Here's a thought. Just from me. Just thinking out loud. Why not keep that money? Bell, the only person who cares about you in the entire world out of jail. Have her steal the shit and then take it to your dad. You save like $700 in the long run because you're going to make all the rest of that profit back by Lachey not wanting to fuck you up because Lachey's been wanting to fuck you up because you fucked Lachey over and we knew that was going to happen. And so now Lachey has an ally in Simone who now wants to fuck you up. You didn't want to get, you didn't want to get Simone out of jail. But somebody else got Simone out of jail that same day. And she came looking for you like with the quick, fast hurry up. Like seriously. Did you? This is what happens when you only think about yourself. You don't think like if I don't do this, like this connection is gone. You start thinking about ways she's trying to fuck you over. Like how you going to think your best friend trying to fuck you over? And then you have the nerve to say, don't nobody care about that baby but her. That is fucked up. Woo. And that ain't the only part that's fucked up in this book. When she's uh, at the jail, she runs into one of them, I, I bet you he was one of them not all men type niggas. Girl, if I was your man, I'd be sitting right here next to you. You wouldn't have to sit in this prison cell or this prison waiting room by yourself. The cell is in your mind. Hotep ass niggas. She spent all that money and then didn't talk to him and give him the number. So he's more than happy to tell her, look, yo, daddy killed two people yesterday. Four days ago. Yeah, four days ago. Yo, daddy killed two people four days ago. He taking that long ride. Santiago's, I, I would love to see the story of what exactly happened to Santiago inside. Inside. Like, he's writing all these letters and talking all this shit. I am almost 100% certain Santiago was getting his ass whooped every fucking day until finally he got tired of whooping pe- of getting his ass whooped and murdered people. And now he's taking that long ride. But that's just my mind working because honestly, I know for a fact that Sister Soldier doesn't like drug dealers. Also, Sister Soldier, aka Rashida, being the only person who's being nice to Winter out of nowhere. Out of no fucking where. It's such a punk ass thing to do. Even in your worst time, even if you treat me like shit, I'm still going to be there because I'm sister soldier. Like, get the fuck out of my face with that bullshit. Seriously. And that dude in the, in, in Izzy fucking pervert. Oh man. So now what's going to end up happening is Rashida, uh, is taking, Winter to Sister Soldier's house. So, uh, Winter's about to be in her worst place she could ever imagine. I'm telling y'all, this girl is a fucking sociopath. Like, straight up. There's no other way to put it. Like, this is crazy. Crazy how bad of a person she is. 
for this age, she's like advanced asshole. Thank you all so much for checking me out. Again, leave a five-star review wherever you listen to the podcast at. Um, leave a voicemail, 916-633-1537. And send an email to wretchedandratchet at gmail.com. I hope that this is entertaining, y'all. Like, this is an interesting book. When I'm reading it now, it is... We, like, seriously. Seriously. This girl is the worst. I don't know how we thought she was anything but the worst when we were growing up. But Winter is literally the worst person in the entire fucking world. And it's her dad's fault. It is. We, I, I, I'd say that it, it was partly her mom's fault, but you know, Sister Soldier didn't even want to give her mom a fucking name. Her mom is just now random crackhead number four, so can't blame her mom if you didn't even give her a name bought her dad some Salvatore Ferragamo shoes like you're not gonna get your friend out you know how I know Salvatore Ferragamo shoes cost a lot because Jay-Z raps about them that's the only person I know who talks about Salvatore Ferragamo shoes Which means I can't afford them. Them shits cost $595. You better get the fuck out of my face. Goddamn. Anyhow, thank y'all for listening. We'll check y'all out on the next episode. Y'all be good. Peace. I mean, seriously. That's rich people shit. But she's not rich. Like, how the fuck are you spending money that you know you ain't gonna get back because you just fucked over your homegirl? I can't even stop. I'm sorry, y'all. I came back. Hi, it's me again. How are you spending money that you don't have to not... At this point in time, Simone should have been an investment. You bail your girl out without argument or without strife, and just like that, she is loyal to you. Ride or die for the rest of your fucking days. Instead, you buy Salvatore Ferragamo shoes for a dude who's got a whole nother ass family on the side. But I'm asleep. Okay, that's it. I'm done. I'm out. Fuck that nigga. The winters are fucking full. Sister Soldier, you're doing a great job. You fucking hate black women. This is crazy. I'm out. You don't hate black women. You really just don't like drug dealers and anybody who's like getting theirs any way that you don't find acceptable. I think that's it. You don't, yeah, you don't appreciate anything that's outside of the scope of what you think is righteous. Okay, I'll leave it at that. I'm really going now. Y'all be good. We'll holler at you later. Peace. and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is
single simulcast.